1: Hello, I'm Michael Chakraberti And I'm Mark Watson. And welcome back to Mankind, where we chat to a range of brilliant guests about masculinity. Some of them are men, some of them aren't men, and some of them aren't particularly bothered either way. We're interested in men. Yes, obviously you are. And what makes them tick? Where does masculinity come from? How does it affect us? And how could we be better? We might not get a final answer, but we'll have a bloody good go at it.
2: Won't we, Michael? Oh, we'll do our best. Hello, welcome to another week. It's Mark Watson here, the nation's sweetheart. But I'm afraid there is no trace of Michael Uh He's actually Michael Chakravarti at the moment. It doesn't quite work, but basically he's got tonsillitis, so his throat hurts. If this sounds a little bit mischievous of me, um, of course, I have all the sympathy in the world for Michael. He's made it perfectly clear, both on social media and in our WhatsApp group, how much sympathy he would like. So please... Tweet Michael or use whatever channels you can to contact him and send him your love and good wishes. Nonetheless, another episode is presented to you. This was recorded in the period when Michael was still alive and well. And the guest is someone that I'm very proud to be offering up to your ears this week. He was a colleague of mine on the Cursed show, The Celebrity Island with Bear Grills, A man whose intelligence and way of looking at the world I found very stimulating... Throughout that period, a person who has an enormous range of interests, he's an artist of various kinds, has been a very famous recording star, has also been in an extremely famous film franchise, as will come up, is deserving of the title Polymath. And for a long, long time, I've been trying to get him to do this podcast, but among his talents is not speedy replies to text messages. Nonetheless, I eventually wrestled him to the ground, and I hope you enjoy listening to your friend of mine, or certainly mine, jordan stevens hi everyone this is mark watson as so often happens by my side virtually is my old friend michael chakravarti and we are joined today by jordan stevens hi jordan hello Hi, mate.
1: <laughs> that was very tender. That was nice.
2: It was tender. Jordan yeah. is actually a very loving guy. He, he and I know each other from the notorious survival show, The Celebrity Child with Bear Girls, which I've banged on about quite a bit in public. But it's been a varied career for you, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Would you like to say roughly who you are, some of what you've done? Okay, my name's Jordan Stevens,
3: and most well-known, I'd say, for being half of Rizzle Kicks. Then since we decided to maybe step away from being pop stars... I mean, notably, I popped up in a Star Wars film, which is pretty fucking cool. That is pretty cool. (laughs) I act generally. I didn't just like run onto the set of Star Wars.
2: (laughs) Yeah, when you say you popped up on it, you're not doing yourself enough justice there. You were actually invited to be in the film. Yeah. I had fucking lines. <laughs> I was part of the Rebel Alliance that saved the galaxy, but we'll talk about that on time. <laughs> <laughs> that was really appreciated.
3: Yeah, yeah. People yeah. should thank me every day because... Of course they should. That's a galaxy. We'd be under Sith rule and I don't think people understand how... Actually, we kind of are. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. So that and then... um, And then, yeah, a mental health campaign called I Am Whole, which is five years old now. We mm. took the gas off a little bit this year, but... We have many plans for the coming year, which is great. Centered more around male audiences. So that's cool and in keeping with your podcast. Yeah, and then other than that, man, I don't know. I'm just like trying to. I've been doing bits of writing. I'm really falling in love with writing. I've got little book deals here and there that are yet to blossom, and don't really want to say much until they do, you know? Because it's like, yeah,
2: yeah. And I think you've said enough in terms of making us feel small about our
1: own achievements. <laughs> ah, shut <laughs> up! You've racked up enough points there. Well, you
3: told me did I fucking know. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> we did tell you to. I do think you should lead with the defeating the Sith thing, though. I think that's top of the list, really, isn't it? Uh,
2: Jordan's, I think, the first person I ever met who'd been in any sort of a Star Wars film. It was something we chatted about quite early on.
3: I will say that I will never include the island in my list of achievements.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I do either. It's more a sort of list of things you've been through in life, isn't it? It's more something you talk about in therapy than on a CV, I think. <laughs> the actual experience of
3: it and the people I've met like yourself, yeah, fantastic. Mostly me, yeah. The fact that I have that to recall is, is
2: a blessing, but
3: every other part of it
2: sometimes makes me want to, you know, kick a small animal. Yeah, which actually didn't do as much good on the island because there were hardly any of them around and ah. the ones that were there we had to try and eat. <laughs> also, I feel already regret I would never kick a small animal, I'd rather kick an executive producer in the face.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's very
2: out of character. You came across as a very gentle
1: person throughout the island, which in fact- Did either of you kill anything on the island? Well... Crabs. Only crabs. Loads of crabs.
2: Yeah, there weren't many creatures available and we were a couple of weeks short of the point where we were able to kill each other or had to kill each other and eat each other. Right. So we sort of got away without too much murdering. But actually. This is a masculinity related strand of conversation because in that environment, there was quite a lot of macho behavior. Mm. inevitably because some people felt like the only way we can do this is to win and Mm. you know we've got to beat this island I think Jordan and I were notable for not being on that end of the spectrum basically Mm. we were slightly bemused by some of the more traditional male behavior is that fair Jordan I'd say so not necessarily how it was edited but
3: like I think between you and I yeah definitely I remember us just constantly campaigning for Sarah to be
2: like camp leader I think right yeah it dawned on us quite early that the women on the whole were better at getting things done just because they were better at listening it's and a polling opinion.
3: I mean, yeah, I would like to say I was on that side, but I would also hold my hands up to be like, I did my, my desire to source water so rapidly. I remember on that island was hilarious. I just walked into like an infinite green abyss of jungle and got taught a lesson so swiftly about our insignificance in the greater scheme of nature. It was terrifying. My logic was that I saw a particularly green tree so that must be where the water is. I
2: remember you saying that over and over again for hours. Yeah, look how green it is, man. Which, to be fair, it did sort of make sense,
3: yeah. I mean, it did but then I also almost died, so like...
2: (laughs) Before we move off the island, which we shouldn't focus on too much, I will say that Jordan decided to leave about halfway through and I spent quite a bit of time trying to persuade him to stay because he was one of my favourite people to hang out with and hanging out is being quite generous. By that I mean sitting, (laughs) shuddering on a beach. Starving. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one time when Jordan sort of already made his decision, he said, I just don't really see what the point of this is. And I said, well, we must be learning things about I know, ourselves or how to look after ourselves in life, how to survive. And Jordan said, and this comes back to me a lot in life's struggles. He said, yeah, but the thing is if we were here in a real life situation, I'd just go. The way I'd survive this would be to not be here anymore. So surely that's survival. And we talked about it. It's sort of true. The more we deconstructed it, he was like, if this was a real survival show, we'd just get someone to pick us up and go for dinner somewhere. <laughs> At that point, I started thinking he's right, but I'm not sure he's cut out for this genre of television.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: I often think about that. Anytime I'm in a, a sort of what seems like a, a challenge which has been unfairly put on me, I think of you saying that and think, why am I doing this? Why don't I just phone someone to fuck this off?
3: But I think if I did it again now, I would be a lot harder can- in myself yeah. generally I was just very busy as a human anyway not busy as in my schedule just internally I think um yeah would
2: you say you're less like that since then because at the time you talked about having ADHD and stuff like that and mm. your brain was certainly a fascinating place you'd always be talking about the constellations you'd point up and describe the patterns of the stars and stuff that I didn't know about but then yeah. as I was asking a follow-up question you'd change the subject to porridge or something <laughs> and <laughs> then you would start talking about ant and deck so you know you were quite hard to pin down mentally at that stage would you say you've found more in a peace since then
3: yeah definitely man i've gone through so much since then that has informed my energy and definitely my ability to just sit still you know like even conceptually thinking about that length of time alone feels different to how it was felt like an everest before you know the idea of that on an island a month you know yeah now to think about it i would understand i mean obviously i've experienced it to an extent so i know what's ahead of me but i think i'd
1: certainly be better at just being still i think mm, yeah
2: Michael, we ought to ask Jordan the traditional opening
1: questions. Right. Let's get cracking with our first question, which is quite a simple one, really. What do you think of when you think of masculinity? I think of, well, now just in my head, then I thought of like a big anchor in the ground. Ah, that's quite a metaphor of an answer. Mm. Generally, we get strong. (laughs) This is how he talks, Michael. He talks in riddles. (laughs) He's like a poem. Yeah. What do you mean? Where does that come from? Because I think dissecting
3: or thinking of masculinity, I've thought about excessively for maybe five years at least. In the last couple of years, I've definitely leant towards finding in myself the most, I'm trying to think of another word other than divine, but I mean, that's the word that kind of gets thrown around to mean the truest, purest form of the energy, you know, like divine feminine or divine masculine. Mm. And I've been mean, trying to access that in myself just to help myself and to grow as a person, um, mature. And when I've spoken to various kind of elders or people who talk about ancient beliefs around masculinity, they always talk about this sense of being grounded, yeah. a kind of stillness, which I think has now become a little bit it's been thrown around a little bit in our modern Western society or Yeah, it's
2: over familiar as an idea.
3: Yeah, like the stoicism is now at a toxic point, I'd say, or it can be looked at as actually a non-beneficial process to just bear with it. But it's not that, I don't think. It's just being a place of strength and the almost decisiveness. What I see is that image and that's what I think of, whether that's a man or a woman. I, I definitely think of that energy as being a kind of anchor. It's a kind of a positive anchor rather than one weighing you down, would you say? Yeah, yeah, definitely a positive thing. I spoke to a friend who has all this knowledge about ancient civilizations, I suppose, or I don't know, I think he was coming from an Aboriginal background, but he was speaking about even Ayurvedic teachings and stuff, and how loads of ideas have essentially come from the same principles, but then they've been morphed over time because of various cultural nuances and shit. Mm. He says that historically, from what he knows, masculinity was considered as still rocks and femininity was considered this expression of, of fire you know this kind of like mm. big and it was those two energies together that would maintain this kind of balance so i'm assuming that was something that would need to be present in everybody to an extent we constantly referenced pictures of shiva i think the hindu god yeah and he would have kala i think the goddess of war or something she would be above him and he would be below her and he said that for him that represented that kind of grounding underneath the
2: fire yeah interesting isn't it because we've um not just drifted quite a long way from those ideas but in some ways sort of inverted them like there's a feeling in the society we live in that men are about the big gesture and you know action and stuff like that yeah. and for quite a long time we've expected women to be sort of still and passive and yeah hold the fort for men's actions and emotions completely i agree yeah i mean you always seemed an interesting example of a man to me on the island admittedly quite weird circumstances to get to know someone but Mm. it felt to me like you have quite a good combination of those things like you are kind of compared with me physically robust and strong and like rugged and manly in those ways but you did also have this kind of peace and stillness even though you were at the time quite mentally agitated yeah are you conscious of trying to bring together the masculine and the feminine in your own sort of personality your own actions
3: yeah i think actually at the time of the island i'd say I don't believe I was as in touch with my masculine side as I perhaps needed to be Mm. just if I'm comparing it now, you know, I think I grew up around a lot of strong women and I've always found it easier to hang out with women, get along with women. And I'm saying this because naturally there'd be a lot of femininity there. Although actually my mum's quite an interesting balance of the two and actually almost warped my perception of women because she kind of balanced masculinity and femininity so impressively. You know, she'd scream at the telly when Arsenal were fucking losing, you know. And I thought that was the kind of usual vibe for any man or woman. And then swiftly learned that there's this idea that girls aren't as into football which baffled me when I was older because I was like you know my mum was always the biggest fan
2: yeah if you don't grow up with that idea then there's no reason why you should think it it's just most of us do I suppose yeah yeah literally I had to learn your mum will have done quite a bit of screaming over the past couple of years <laughs> <laughs> she's given up she's literally gone past she's beyond screaming anyway <laughs> I just
3: think yeah I don't know man I think I needed to tap into that energy of my own self-protection you know I think even still around the island those years it was about four or five months after the island I actually had the worst breakdown of my life actually mm. and was because i was unable to just be angry about shit i was unable to truly be healthily angry and protective of myself and my needs and in not tapping into that energy I was damaging to people around me as well which is again maybe in contrast to how things are spoken about I actually think it was a lack of my understanding of masculinity that led to me damaging myself and others or the more warped idea of what masculinity is
2: I think it's really interesting because yeah time and time again on this podcast we hear about more traditional toxic masculine behavior like basically too much anger yeah too much of a failure to suppress emotion you know like so things like anger stress are taken out on other people but what you're talking about is the other. almost the opposite problem yeah. being so restrained about your masculinity that it became a weapon in its own right
3: well i mean look it's up for debate whether or not masculinity and femininity as terms are
2: to a degree subjective
3: and you're right actually it's wrong to talk about all yeah 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 it's fluid and who fucking knows you know what i mean but i definitely believe in balance i definitely believe in duality so there will be some you know there'll be a plus and a minus or whatever the fuck. I mean, already those have other ideas attached to them, but you know what I'm trying to say? There's two sides.
1: Yeah, for sure. Where did you find the way to kind of express that masculinity, that anger and
3: that? Yeah. Well, I went through a quite extensive amount of therapy and um, I got sober and I did an amazing emotional trauma retreat called The Bridge. All things I was very lucky to do because of, I suppose, access and time. And I did a lot of reading, a lot of audiobooks, an amazing documentary called The Work. This kind of stuff, all building towards... What i've been trying to build and i think what everyone wants to build is this kind of inner core you know this kind of solid inner core that it's just almost a conversation with self which is that i will support you even if things are tough just you talking to yourself or me talking to myself it's just knowing that there will be the belief in the self that there will be love shared you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i don't think i had that for a long time i think Even though I was definitely open-minded, I've always been open-minded, always been interested in feminism, always been the man willing to go against the grain. I think a lot of the binary notions of masculinity are kind of stupid. I don't really, well, stupid is the wrong word, but I don't necessarily agree. In that respect, yeah, I've definitely always held that position as an outlier or someone willing to challenge ideas. But I think for myself, I've actually tapped into it from therapy, being okay with saying, I am angry knowing that therapy was a safe space for me to express the fact that I was angry. And I'm not talking about rage. That's what I think people might think of in terms of kind of masculinity and anger is rage. You know, just fighting people. Mm -hmm. That's not what
2: anger is. Demonstrative anger.
3: Anger isn't that. Yeah. I think everybody, I think this country actually has a real problem with anger actually. As a society, we are taught to not be angry. We're taught that it's unbecoming to be angry, whether you're a man or a woman, you know? It's all about restraint, stiff upper lip bullshit. Where do you think that connection between anger and rage has come from? People who don't deal with anger healthily, it becomes rage. It's like a jack in a box you know what I mean? Mm. If you don't understand how to process anger as it comes then it bursts it
2: will warp into rage given time
3: oh mate i still struggle with this stuff now because we tell ourselves that we haven't got a right to feel angry we'll think our way out of believing that it happens mm. and it can be tiny things do you know what i mean it can be just mm. interacting with london mate there's like four reasons to be angry i've walked about 100 meters out of my house you know what i'm saying <laughs> just from the abuse of the city
2: yeah london's a pretty easy place to get angry it's fair to say and there's a lot to deal with on a minute by minute basis sometimes which you don't
3: right and that energy you know we need to be doing things to express that you know exercise and being able to talk being able to outlet that breathing stuff like that you know so now if i feel angry about something not only am i aware that i feel angry i have steps i can take to deal with that anger i'm still not great at picking up on it straight away i can still sometimes convince myself i'm not angry but basically the root of all of my turmoil and my toxic behavior I believe so far and what I've learned about myself stems from me suppressing anger at a young age and taking it out on myself and in doing so hurting other people, you know, because if I was in a relationship and I'd go out and do a shit ton of cocaine and drink loads and fuck about and be an idiot, I've got a responsibility to people more than just myself. Yeah. And that's where that behavior would then become. But ultimately I'm just hurting myself.
2: When we were on the island you were starting to play with some of these ideas and think about it in a fuller way like you just started the campaign we mentioned I am whole. Mm. So even though you weren't necessarily in the greatest place yourself, you already were starting to think about what you could do to influence other people's mental health and their relationship with it. You got me involved briefly, you know, in yeah. recording a video and stuff like that. So we talked about it quite a bit. What was it that made you sort of think about doing something specifically about male or skewed towards male mental health?
3: It's literally just because the most interaction we've had with that mental health charity is from young girls and women. And I personally think that there are many reasons for that. And, you know, everything's coded you know so sometimes i sit down with the team and talk about the colors that we're using and by that i don't mean everything has to be like scarlet red and and angry i just mean in terms of sometimes shapes can mean a lot to a person or their general ideas around the tone of something can you tell us a bit about the campaign i'm whole i'm whole was initially a mental health campaign that was supposed to be a tiny little thing in brighton and hove trying to destigmatize the way people spoke about mental health. And this was about five or six years ago. The conversation was very different then. Mm. And it blew up. Now it's become something a lot bigger and we are putting money into grassroots kind of organisations. We did a mental health gig to raise money and then had some amazing artists perform. And we started a digital detox day, which we've launched with Zoe Sug. But yeah, at the start I said about heading more towards men because I think it's important for men to feel that they feel included in
2: that conversation. You said the conversation changed in the past few years. What do you think has changed? It certainly feels as if people are talking about male mental health a lot more than they were even four years ago.
3: Yeah, definitely. I get asked sometimes what the next step is with I Am Whole. And for me, I think awareness has been great. We've done a lot of awareness raising. People can now utilise these terms either to communicate how they're feeling or to try and understand how they're feeling which is amazing but now I really want to step into a space of people understanding what steps can be taken to better themselves and to be able to deal with these things themselves at first at least if that makes sense yeah and then from that you know a greater community and, and a society that generally understands how these things work but I'm really into the relationship between body and mind right now you know I would really like, yeah, to include men because I just think there needs to be some more noise in that space. I think men need just a bit of guidance. Why do you think there's a reluctance from men to talk about mental health? Because it shows weakness, I think. Right. I think there's a lot of expectation placed on men, on everyone, of course. But I think there's this age-old complex of being a provider and also meeting these bizarre capitalist standards of existence that Mm. seem to orientate around material elevation should just pointless mean nothing to the soul mean nothing to emotional resilience
2: it's true that a lot of the male heroes that we see set up by sati do match a certain very specific late capitalist model of success as you say material attainment and also just like measurable success, either in money or status, or those are all still things that men have got to cut through to be happy.
1: Jordan, how do you square that with your time in Rizzle Kicks? must have been quite a heightened time of all those things. At the time, how did you experience that? And kind of also looking at it now, how do you feel about that?
3: Oh, I mean, when Rizzle Kicks popped off, I was all engines on go. I wanted Mm. all the toxicity. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted it all. I wanted a big, big bath of toxic. (laughs) I was completely... uh, you know what's so fascinating about that for me, which I think about a lot because I've been writing about this stuff recently, is that one big source of fuel for me in that time was the sense of inadequacy that I felt as a teenager. Mm. And I find that so fascinating because it's all about power, right? Mm. Yeah. So I remember particularly at my secondary school in the earlier years, so from year seven to maybe year nine, the girls at the school were like top of this shit. They could destroy you these girls at the school you know and they were like all their hormones had kicked in fucking early our school i think comparatively from conversations i had with people was like seriously raunchy (laughs) way earlier than it should have been and you know you'd be kind of accosted by these girls honestly i remember being bullied into a relationship when i was in year eight like genuinely bullied into a relationship by a group of girls you know forced to kiss this girl like all this kind of wild shit and then i remember my hormones kicked in near the end of year eight i kind of hit puberty quite late and I was doing this catch up. I wanted to snuggle all these girls and have sex with all these girls, you know, when I was like 15 and wanting them to desire me desperately. And but them kind of going off with a boy who would hit puberty really early and had like fucking big arms or sold drugs or
2: whatever it was. Yeah. There were always people ahead of you by that point. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And because that was your entire universe at that point though, that's what's mm. so crazy is all of that stuff was on a magnifying glass. Those kind of thoughts and feelings would seem to us now as adults, you know, yeah, sure. Part of life, but there's other things to focus on in school it's like that's everything if I've asked this girl out and she's looked me in the face and said I'm going out with this boy instead like that would completely form my day it's life
2: altering yeah, yeah yeah
1: absolutely yeah
2: <laughs> so when you find yourself a sort of high status pop star you said this a bit to me when we were chatting those years ago yeah. it felt like sort of a riposte to your own younger self or something like making up grand that you'd lost
3: well I'd done it I found myself an outsider by the end of my secondary school years I was a, just a bit of odd you know i had a couple of friends but i was at home working right and i was working as in i was teaching myself how to make MySpaces and design websites and that's actually how i got my break which is a whole other story but mm. i was putting everything into it and i was getting fucking rinsed i mean like all these other boys these cool kids or whatever they were like off of their girlfriends or doing whatever the fuck at these parties and i was kind of in those circles but not so much and other rappers in brighton at the time were rinsing me because i was rapping about weird shit I was just on some other vibe, man. I was just, like, wanting to rap about something else. And anyway, so when it works, yeah, when, like, when can I get that shit, when I'm in the fucking charts and shit and I'm getting given money, yeah. I remember getting a message from this girl once and just looking at a picture of her and being like, what the fuck, man? Like, this girl is so hot, you know? And that baffling me and then me desperately needing that validation from that experience in order to understand who i am
2: but it all came from a sense that you've missed out on stuff before right that you've been isolated yeah, it all came. it's that thing of the best form of revenge is success it's that sort of thing isn't it literally yeah. it's literally that yeah i remember the
3: feeling because i saw one of the girls that i used to fancy when i was in school and kind of almost had a thing about it. she went off with these other boys she was part of the girl group that would tease boys you know they'd spread rumors and shit you know what i mean you wouldn't want to get on their bad side yeah i remember well yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> I remember becoming famous and doing well and going back to Brighton and going on a night out and one of these girls coming over and being like, oh, what's so, yeah. I think it's just trying to like poke funnel, belittle it a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, oh, what's so, are you famous now, Ever? And I remember being like, yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. Yeah, I am, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and in that moment, I felt this exchange of power. Yeah. And at the time, I'd talk about that and be like, hey, hey, how great is that? Now I think, how wild is that? How wild that these are the energies I was playing with. If I could go back to my younger self now, I'd be like, mate, focus solely on what you think you deserve. Don't be looking outside of what other people think of you and basing your idea of self on their approval or who's more powerful. That's fucked up, but that's what happened. Do you think there's a way that we can tell young people that? Listen, the power thing is a trip. And I'm sure you guys have experienced it too. Like, I think there must be something chemically... Well, there is. There's a release of dopamine, I think,
1: that occurs if there's some shift in status. I don't know what the fuck it is. It's the same with Instagram and social media and all of that. It's the exact same thing, isn't it? It's validation and the power that comes from that. Yeah,
3: And young minds and, you know, seemingly we all want to acquire the sense of power. But the only thing I think of with that question is the lack of eldership and mentorship that we have in our communities and our societies, Mm. you know. It's an
2: idea that we've maybe lost a little bit.
3: Hugely. And rites of passage as well initiations. Yeah. I think they do that thing in America, don't they, with like fraternities, which I think is mm. again based around probably quite an ancient principle, but it seems now to only be drinking and not like, having sex and stuff. They do that in like eating and shit, don't they? Like they are kind of bizarre Again, mutations of that principle of initiation, but
2: that's right. The idea of mentorship is really valuable at its core. But as you say, it's been twisted into just like here is your Mm -hmm. drinking buddy from two years above you and stuff like that. that. Yeah, at the core of it, there is something quite important: seeing someone who's already been through some of the stuff that you are, and being taken in hand by them. It does feel like something that we've gone away from out of a sort of embarrassment or something or ego.
3: Yeah, totally. Listen, when I got the record deal and and went into the charts, eighteen
2: I was nineteen ish. Everyone
3: was just there for the party, you know, which is great.
2: But... I was going to ask if there, because this is sort of in line with the question we often ask, have there been men that have either consciously or not served as mentors for you or role models, people to follow? Or has the whole point been that because of the weird path you've walked, you've had to sort of carve it out yourself?
3: Yeah. I will say off the bat, the question if ungendered would almost certainly be women who i looked
2: up to or guided me more but um and that wouldn't be the first time someone said that either actually quite often the question does have to be turned on its head because it ends up being about strong female influences both my granddads for example died
3: before i was born so Mm. i never met them so i had a huge kind of paternal opportunity kind of taken away from me by time So when I was growing up, I'm not sure if there were men I looked up to. I definitely had my pick of people I admired. Do you know what I mean? Like from a distance, knowing that it was a distance. When I was a kid, I loved Cisco. I mean, (laughs) Hmm. Ian Wright, I loved. I just always remember his smile and that celebration he did when he scored 187
2: goals, whatever it was. Because
3: when I was a kid, I wanted to be a footballer.
2: So footballers were who I looked to a lot. He's someone who still inspires a lot of young people, actually, as time has gone on, I think. right. Yeah, no, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, we live in a strange time when footballers and ex-footballers have weirdly become figures of the public conscience. And Ian Wright's definitely a great example of that. Yeah. Well, they
1: have a massive impact on lots of young people, particularly boys, I think it's probably worth saying, but women as well, and obviously young non-binary people. But it's fascinating how footballers become these role models often, not willingly, I suppose. I mean, literally in the last couple of weeks as the first out gay professional footballer, oh, yeah. which is wild. I've always said that that's so bizarre that that's never happened. The impact that will have is groundbreaking, right? For all those young people looking up to them. That's amazing. Yeah, it's massive But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
3: Did you ever feel the pressure of being a role model? Yeah, hugely. And I was so young with Rizzle Kicks and the stuff I was getting. I remember posting a status on facebook asking if anyone had any acid when i was 22 and at the time because i'm really smart i had my full name and photograph on facebook (laughs) and and when i say full name i mean jordan in brackets rizzle stevens
2: This is very different to the sort of thing I was putting on Facebook at the same time, which would be about having a cup of tea.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. I just really wanted to try some at Yeah, but... fair play, yeah. And
2: then I got this, you know,
3: phone call from our press office or whatever and was like, oh, they're going to run a story about it. And the journalist was actually quite nice. Mm. But he said to me, um, we've got to give a statement. Like, what do you want to give us a statement? And I was like, well what do you want me to say you know i did ask for acids. <laughs> i was like actually that's probably a great advert is that yeah, that's what yeah. I mean.
2: has anyone got any my question stands
3: yeah i thought <laughs> <laughs> so that's so weird because i'm still 22 even though i'm in the public eye mm. but i understand that i had a responsibility because i was visible yeah but i just think that's a lot to expect for somebody that young especially now as nearing 30 to think back and expect that much so yeah of course i put dumb tweets of course i didn't know what the fuck was going on do you know what i mean like it's the expectation of youth in this society is fucking bizarre. In fact, the worshipping of youth is bizarre. Yeah. Because I don't want to hear from young people about the shit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it comes down to. People assume that someone at 20 or 21 is already the finished product. And if they become famous, then people hang an awful lot of stuff on them, which shouldn't be anywhere near. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the retrospective expectations as well. When someone is announced to be doing something, people will troll through their Twitter and find something from when they were 17. And it's like, well, of course, it's said dumb shit then. Oh, yeah. mate. And of course. Yeah, awful. Awful. I've got loads of shit. I've got loads of, like, even when I was growing up,
3: homophobia was so prevalent in, like, the colloquialisms when we grow up, you know, we'd say gay. yeah. And Mm. I'm not homophobic. I'm, I'm in fact, an incredible lover of that whole scene in society and interact with it all the time and support it. I hope I'm considered an ally. And I grew up around gay men and women, you know, like, with my godfather and and godmothers and whatever else.
1: That's my whole vibe. Mm. And still I use terms like that. It's all about cause and effect. Yeah. I mean, I am, and I call things gay. And I'm like, if we're going to slag someone else off for calling something gay, (laughs) surely we have to look in our own house. Do you know what I mean? It's fucked. set an example, Michael. (laughs) Yeah, that's fucked, right?
3: Right, well, there you are. That's it. And I would have had messages that would have reflected that. Because it's just idiocy. Because we're young. Mm. I mean, of course you can have an opinion when you're young, but you've got to contextualize it, you know? This is a 21-year-old's opinion.
2: Okay. I suppose an overriding theme of nearly everything you said is that we put enormous pressure on ourselves and on each other and we could all, like men and otherwise, we could all get better at understanding that and being a bit softer about it and a bit more rational maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
3: totally. I also want to quickly mention just while on my mind, my unofficial uncle, Eamon Walker, when I was growing up, he was wonderful, positive male influence on me growing up alongside my dad and also Tom Hines, who was a youth worker for Audioactive in Brighton. He was the first guy who encouraged me to go to a youth workshop and rap. He was also really important to me growing up because obviously that was the first time I'd ever been... That's what I mean about mentorship, actually. He was literally my mentor when I was a teenager at a youth centre. Two ideals that are still being attacked to this day, you know. Those organisations and those community-led things are so, so important to young minds. I can't emphasise that enough. Yeah, yeah, we need to fight to protect those. A hundred percent. We need to make more of them. It should be like a fucking priority. Sorry, I didn't mean to diverge from what we were saying before. I just thought it was important to just quickly note that.
2: Well, I think all of these, the way your mind works is constantly diverging and fascinating, I think. But um, (laughs) we probably do have to ask the traditional final question, Michael.
1: Yes, which kind of links a little bit to what you were just saying there. We ask our guests to think of three qualities they would build into a man. What would you build? Of Three qualities?
2: Um, Yeah, if you were starting a man from scratch or a person, I suppose.
3: (laughs) Three qualities. I mean, resilience, resilience comes to mind, but I suppose I'd want to say emotional resilience. Mm. Is that cheating to say that as a quality? No, no,
2: no, I don't think it is. No, I think that's literally answering the question. Yeah, emotional <laughs> resilience.
3: <laughs> the ability to surf emotional waves. I think that that's what I think is missing, especially in a lot of men is understanding that pain isn't forever, you know? So I think mm. having a soul that understands that pain, like everything is temporary, is um, would be cool. So yeah, emotional resilience. Um, Great hugger. Oh, that's a good one. You want someone mm-hmm. who's got a great hug, man. Sometimes I hug people and I'm like, "Fuck me, that was a good hug." I just feel buzzed after it. <laughs> like... <laughs> I agree. Underrated skill. It can change someone's day. Oh, mate, such a vibe. And apparently, if you hug someone for like ten seconds, you get happy. But I will suggest, obviously, don't do that for people you
2: don't know. You have to get someone's consent for that. Quite a long time. Yeah, the oxytocin is not always accessed if it's not somebody that consented to it. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Don't just go and hug random people who go One, two, three, <laughs> No,
1: <laughs> A great consensual hugger. Great <laughs>
3: consensual hugger. And final thing. You know, not so weird. I'm really, I'm thinking in
2: pictures. I can't like, I'm trying to describe what I'm seeing in my head. I've seen you do that before. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you often talk about circles and shapes and colours and things. I don't know many people whose brain works quite like yeah. yours. They're abstractly, but also. <laughs> I need to know. be able to say the words. Well, yeah, it helps, but that's what we're here for.
3: It's something about, um, yeah, I'm I'm stuck between two. Sorry, I, should, I, should, I know those rules. One is like I'm imagining... The rules ima- aren't that harsh, to be fair.
2: Okay, <laughs> we'll
3: give you four. So I imagine someone laughing, you know, that like the big, big communal laugh. It's just such an infectious laugh. A laughing, again, is a, a healing thing. Yeah. um, Someone who is able to not be taking everything so seriously. I, I actually have an issue of sometimes taking things too seriously. But then I also want a boundary. That's another important thing with a person. I really want that person to know their own boundaries so that there's just clarity, constant clarity. That's, I was listening to a podcast with Brené Brown. You guys know Brené Brown? Yeah, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she was saying that from her research on people, the current link between sense of peace, internal harmony, that all the people from all different parts of the world that she'd been to, the link they all shared was Razor sharp boundaries, you know. Right. Say something or or do something that was just not in keeping with that person's specific boundaries. They just let you know, and then it's not that deep. Yeah, it's not about punishment. It's just like no. It's just no. All it is is no, or I don't want to. And then you know where you stand. Everyone's happy. You can have gr- big, great consensual hugs and <laughs> you know, go swimming. They're really lovely. Thank you so much, Jordan. And thank you for joining us this morning. It's my pleasure. I feel like I should have asked you guys some more questions. Can I ask you guys some questions? Have you guys ever asked yourselves these questions in the
2: podcast? Michael interviewed me for one of the episodes and we're going to do it the other way around one time. Okay, great. But maybe we should work towards a, a, like a Christmas special or something where Jordan grills both <laughs> of us gently. I'm going to grill you, yeah. <laughs> Ten seconds to tell me what you think of men now. Go. <laughs> It's been amazing chatting to you, mate, again. It's been too long, really.
1: Yeah. Oh, we should ask you, um, is there anything you'd like to plug? Where can people find you? Where can they find I Am Whole? All those things.
2: Yeah, I don't really have anything to plug. I'm
3: always doing something. I'm always throwing something into the void. So just my name. I do have social media. Jordan F. Stevens, I think, is all of my social medias. Um, But I struggle with it, man. I really struggle with... uh, I feel like there's this battle we all have inside us now where, like, we intuitively are like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs>
1: and then the other side's like, but fun. <laughs> yeah, Twitter, I I love the comedy of Twitter, but then you get the rage of Twitter as well. And I've got a really good friend called Brenner who says something really smart, which I think about a lot, which is don't dance in the flames of fires other people set. Yeah. So that's very nice. That's amazing. Isn't that lovely? And like, so if someone like JK Rowling is, doing a transphobia yet again. She's setting a fire. Let's not dance in those flames and let's instead help those people that are burning. Like, yo, that is the realist. That's the realest thing is is saving your
3: energy for the things, actions you can take to improve the situation. Um, right, exactly. Or at least balancing it because people got to be held accountable, but at least balancing it. I agree with that. It's so hard to differentiate between what's a genuine critique and what mm-hmm. there's going to be a diversity of thought and opinion. I think sometimes people... It's tough because some people have more influence than others and I think that leads people to be angry or frustrated with uh, with the population. But yeah, they should all just, listen, nowadays I'm just an existential nihilist anyway. My expectation of people is honestly so low. I don't think
1: I can... It saves you a lot of trouble. (laughs) Do you
3: know what I mean? It's like, no, I expected that. Yeah, everyone's trash and you know, I'll just go get on with life like that really.
1: Nice place to end the podcast really. It is. (laughs) Uh, Well, see you next week. (laughs)
2: There you go. An extensive chat with Jordan Stevens and do look for him on social media and so forth. Although, as he says himself, he's slightly erratic about it. But uh, well worth keeping an eye on, Jordan. Uh, Hope you agreed. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Bit odd without Michael this, but I must press on. And actually, normally at this point, one previews the episode to come. But because of Michael's perilous state of health, It's not actually clear whether we are doing one, uh, because, of course, tonsillitis does rob you of your ability to speak, which is a key podcast skill. And um, we don't know if Michael will rally sufficiently. So it might be that we have to have a break next week. We're still hopeful that we might not have to, but um, I do not have um, a next week guest to present to you. I'll just simply say that if we don't do one next Monday, don't panic. Mankind will be back, and perhaps an opportunity for you to catch up on one of the ones you haven't listened to, because I know you, you haven't listened to them all, you skipped it once or twice, you didn't get around to it. Most of you, you could do with a catch-up week, so worst case scenario, do that next Monday. And we'll be back very shortly thereafter, we already have some great guests booked in for the next few weeks. Uh, If Michael were here, and sadly it's not just a big if, and an infinite if, because he's not, but if he were, he would at this point start urging you to... Give us nice reviews online, which many of you have been kind enough to do already, and also to follow us and get in touch with us as Mankindpodcast at gmail.com at podcast, He'd do a bit of that. Then he'd encourage you to come and see me on tour. I'd say something nice back about baking or something. Yeah, you can imagine how this could have been. As it is, we sit vigilant, we await news of Michael. Don't forget to send him a get well message, and we'll see you again